Today we celebrate one of the most important facts of human history and one of the most foundational beliefs in true biblical faith, the resurrection of the Messiah. He is not dead. He is alive. Jesus died. Jesus was buried. Jesus lives again. Yeshua Chai. Jesus is alive. Shalom. My name is Lawrence Hirsch, and I am the executive director of Celebrate Messiah. We are a ministry that's dedicated to sharing the gospel with Jewish people in Australia and around the world. And our mission is bringing the message to the original messengers, that is to bring the gospel back to Jewish people from whence the gospel came from in the first place. I'm a Jewish believer in Yeshua, or Jesus as the Messiah, and I fully believe that he is the promised Messiah of Israel. And today, we are, of course, celebrating a wonderful event in the biblical calendar, and that is the resurrection of the Messiah. And so I'd like to say, Yeshua Chai, Jesus lives, because today we're celebrating one of the most important beliefs in our Christian faith, and that is the resurrection of the Messiah. And today I'm going to ask uh, for you to come on a journey with me. We're going to look at the Jewish Passover, and we're going to see how Jesus as the Messiah fulfills the story of Passover and also the prophetic symbols of the Passover meal. Now, of course, many of you would know that the Last Supper that Jesus had with his disciples was, in fact, a Passover celebration, a Passover Seder, as we call it. And it's for good reason that Jesus chose the Passover as his Last Supper with his disciples, because it was not coincidence in any way. It was, in fact, a fulfillment of God's plan of salvation, that Jesus would die on the cross for our sins at the Feast of Passover that he would fulfill the Feast of Unleavened Bread by his sinless sacrifice on our behalf, and that he would rise again from the dead in fulfillment of the Feast of Firstfruits. These are the first three festivals in the Jewish calendar, and we can see how each one of them prophetically are fulfilled by Jesus the Messiah through his death, burial, and resurrection. And so as we celebrate Easter this weekend, we're celebrating those three things, death, burial, and resurrection. And today I'd like to show you how Jesus fulfills those three things through the Passover itself. And so we are looking at this ancient festival, the Passover, that was instituted by God three and a half to 4,000 years ago. It is the story of the liberation of the Jewish slaves out of Egypt. And we still tell the story of Passover thousands of years later. And uh, for me, though, as a believer in Jesus, this festival is not just a, a drama that happened thousands of years ago, but in fact, for me, it is a living story, a living drama of all that the Messiah has done for us through his sacrifice on our behalf. And so as I explain to you this ancient meal, it's my hope that you would see how Jesus is the fulfillment of these prophecies and how we as Jews, as well as anyone from any tribe, tongue, or family or nation should believe in him as the Messiah. So let me begin reading to you from the Gospel of Luke today. And I'm reading from Luke because he's a very special character in the Bible. He's probably the only non-Jewish writer of the Bible. All the other writers of the Bible were definitely Jewish. There's a bit of a question mark about Luke. Was he a Jewish doctor or was he a Greek doctor? One day, I hope to tap him on the shoulder in heaven and ask him to uh, solve this 
mystery and this debate we've had on earth ever since. But let's read his gospel where he records in Luke chapter 22, verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare us the Passover that we may eat. And they found just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And so Passover begins a seven-day festival, which is called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And during this time, we eat nothing that contains any leaven or yeast. Now this is because in Scripture, leaven is frequently used as a symbol for sin. Only a small piece of leaven is used to ferment an entire batch of dough. It's the leaven that causes the dough to rise and become puffed up, just like sin causes us to become puffed up in our own eyes. And so we eat no leaven as a way of saying that we want to break from the daily cycle of sin in our lives. So for about six weeks prior to Passover, and of course this has been going on for the last few weeks in Jewish homes around the world, we undergo a complete spring cleaning and we remove every form of leaven out of the house. All the breads, the cakes, the cereals, the baking powder, the cookies, anything that has leaven in it. In Australian Jewish homes, we have to get rid of Vegemite, of course, which has yeast in it. And this is normally the duty of the woman of the house. But if you noticed, Yeshua, that is Jesus' Hebrew name, Yeshua sent two men to prepare for the Passover, and it was two of his disciples. And this might be because in Judaism, it is the man who has the standing before God when it comes to special ceremonial preparation. And so if you really think about it, and if you wanted to be consistent with the rest of the teachings of Judaism, it should be the men that are cleaning the house for six weeks prior to Passover. But as you can imagine, none of us like that very much, so our rabbis had to get us off the hook. And they found a loophole in the system, and they explained it like this. It's true, the women have spent the last six weeks cleaning the house, removing every speck of leaven, well, almost every speck. You see, the wife has hidden some crumbs of bread somewhere in the house, and it's up to the man to discover them. So the night before Passover, the head of the house comes home from work, takes up some peculiar-looking cleaning tools. They include a wooden spoon, a feather, and a white serviette. And he goes on what we call in Hebrew the betikat chametz, the betikat chametz, that is the search for the leaven. Now where could these crumbs be? They really could be anywhere in the house. His wife could have hidden a crumb somewhere in the attic or behind a refrigerator or under a carpet, and it could be very difficult for the husband to discover those crumbs. But fortunately for him, his wife has been kind enough to hide those crumbs in exactly the same place as she did last year, and probably the year before that as well. And so, because Jewish people love traditions, they love to get involved in this search for the leaven. The husband searches for the leaven, pretending he doesn't know where they are, and then without too much difficulty, he discovers the crumbs and then he sweeps them up into a wooden spoon with a feather. Now, ladies, that's what I call pretty heavy house cleaning. But because these crumbs represent sin, he doesn't touch them with his hands. He just wraps up the whole bundle with a white serviette and he takes this bundle of leaven down to the local synagogue. And then in the courtyard of the synagogue is a large bonfire and all of the men gather there and they throw their bundles into the flames. He returns home and he proudly proclaims to his whole family, I have purged my house of all leaven. 
but just to make sure that his wife hasn't been careless and left some crumbs somewhere in the house, he adds a small prayer. May all manner of leaven that I've neither seen nor removed be considered as null and void and as the dust of the earth. Amen. Now you might realize that that is also the background of the New Testament teaching. The Apostle Paul, who of course himself was a rabbi who came to faith in the Messiah, taught the Corinthians that we should keep the feast, not with bread made with yeast, the bread of malice and wickedness, but we should keep the feast with bread made without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. And so he told the Corinthians that before they take of the Lord's Supper, which of course comes out of the Passover, that we have to cleanse our homes, that is our hearts, from all leaven and make sure that we can enter into the Lord's Supper or the communion service without any sin, unconfessed sin in our lives. So just as a Jewish home is prepared for Passover, so we as believers prepare our hearts before we take of the Lord's Supper. Now once the house has been cleansed, we almost ready to begin Passover celebration. So I want you to imagine Jesus with his disciples on that last supper, reclining at the table with his disciples, it says in the scriptures. The reclining at the table is a very important part of Passover. It reminds us that we are free people. In Egypt, we were slaves and had to stand and serve, but now we are free, so we recline at the Passover table. But imagine being there with Jesus at that Passover and all the things that he was going to experience the next day being fulfilled in the actual symbols of the Passover meal. Now the father at Passover always wears a special white garment and a white head covering. Head covering that Jewish people wear as a sign of respect before God is called a yamukah or skull cap or kippah for short. And uh, all being in white because the father is like a king and a priest leading his family through a Passover Seder. Now Seder is a Hebrew word which means order because Passover follows a very specific order all the way through. And that order is found in a book which is called the Haggadah. Haggadah means the Talin. And already back 2,000 years ago at the time of Yeshua, there was a primitive version of the Haggadah that told the story of Passover and took the uh, worshippers through a specific order of the service. Today the Haggadot that we have are much more developed, but certainly back at the time of Jesus there was already a primitive version of the Haggadah, which tells the wonderful story of Passover. Now Passover begins with the lighting of candles. And this is normally the duty of the women of the house who bring the light into the house. Now there's no command in scripture to light candles, but it is a tradition that happens on every Sabbath Eve and every special festival, Eve of every special festival, uh, the women light candles and bring light into the house. Now during the night of Passover, we drink and refill our cups of wine four times. There are four cups at Passover time, and these four cups correspond to four promises that God made to the Jewish people in Exodus chapter 6. Now again, this is interesting because the Bible doesn't command the drinking of four cups of Passover. And yet we see in the Gospels how Jesus participated in this tradition. He took the cup of wine at the beginning of the night. He also took the cup of wine after supper, it says. He certainly would have had the four cups on that night celebrating this particular tradition and giving thanks to God for the four promises. And so we read in the Gospels how Jesus took the first cup of the night. He held it aloft 
and he gave thanks to God who created the fruit of the vine. He would have used an ancient Jewish prayer which goes like this. Baruch Ata Adonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Borei Pori HaGafen. That is, blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has created the fruit of the vine. The service has now begun, and the youngest person in the house comes forward and asks the meaning of Passover. He or she recites the traditional four questions which are found in the Haggadah, and the first question is, Why is this night different from every other night of the year? Why is this night different indeed? On Passover we recline. At Passover we eat unusual foods. At Passover we read the Haggadah that tells the story of the redemption of the Israelites out of Egypt. So this night is different. And certainly that night, 2,000 years ago, when Jesus celebrated the Last Supper, the Passover with his disciples, it was a, a night like no other. And he was to fulfill so many aspects of the Passover celebration. Those of us who know the story of Passover are obligated to respond to the children's questions, and we tell the children, It is because of what the Lord has done for me. With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, he has redeemed us out of Egypt. Redemption really is at the heart of Passover. It's the theme of Passover. Passover not only imparts to us God's message of redemption, but also God's means of redemption. And that was through the sacrifice of a Passover lamb. Our ancestors in Egypt were told to take a spotless lamb, to sacrifice it without breaking any of its bones, and to roast it whole on the fire. They were then told to take the blood of the lamb and apply it with a hyssop plant to the doorposts of the houses. First the top of the door was painted and then the two side posts as well. And because of their obedience and because of their faith, the Israelites were saved from the ravages of the tenth plague that was to befall Egypt. For when the angel of death saw the blood on the doorposts of the houses of Israel, death was forced to pass over those homes. And that's where we get the name Passover from, or Pesach in Hebrew, the holiday which commemorates the time when the angel of death passed over the houses of Israel because of the blood, the blood of the Passover lamb. Now what a mighty act of redemption that was. But also for us, as we look back in history, we can see how that was a picture of an even greater redemption that was still to come, the death of another Passover lamb, the Messiah Jesus. For just as none of the bones of those first lambs in Egypt were broken, so none of Jesus' bones were broken in his death on the cross in fulfillment of prophecy. And just as the Israelites had to take the blood of the lamb and apply it to the doorposts of their houses, so we too who believe in Jesus are told to take the blood of Jesus and apply it to the doorposts of our hearts, so to speak. We do this through faith. We accept what Jesus has done for us and we apply his redemption to our own hearts and therefore we too pass over. We pass over from darkness into light. We pass over from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Messiah. And so we can thank God for Yeshua, Jesus, our Passover lamb. Another question is asked, why on this night do we eat only unleavened bread? I've already explained that leaven is a symbol of sin, so we don't eat leaven at Passover time. But also, another reason is given to the children. It is because of the haste of the Israelites to leave Egypt. We had no time to wait for the bread to rise. And so we eat only unleavened bread at Passover. Now at Passover time, we have a special cover. 
in which we put three layers of matzah. Each one of those three layers of matzah are separated by a piece of cloth, and yet they form a unity within this pouch. This pouch is called a matzah tosh, or a matzah cover, if you like. At this point of the service, the father takes out the middle layer of this matzah tosh. The middle layer of matzah is removed. It is broken in half, and a special blessing is pronounced. One half is given a special name. It's called the afikumen. Afikumen. This is an unusual name. It's a Greek word which means he who comes later. And it's a mystery of how a Greek word came into the Jewish Passover. And no one can really explain it adequately. But let me talk to you more about that later. What happens with this afikumen is that it is wrapped up in a white cloth. It's hidden somewhere in the house. It is buried. No one knows where this afikumen has been hidden. But later on, the children have to discover the afikumen before the service can be concluded. Now, some people say that's an ingenious way to keep the children occupied till the end of the night, but there's much more to it than that. I'll explain later. Another two questions. Why on this night do we eat only bitter herbs? And why do we dip our vegetables in salt water? They're really strange questions. And the way that we explain them is by demonstrating the story of Passover with special object lessons. Each one of the foods at Passover, each one of the symbolic foods, are placed on what is called a Seder plate. And each one of these foods are pictures of the story of Passover, which is redemption, which is, of course, also the theme of Passover. So there are a couple of special elements that I want to talk about at this particular time that are pertinent to our discussion today. Two of the main Passover symbols, unleavened bread and the bitter herb, and the third is the most important, the Passover lamb itself. These are the three elements of Passover that were commanded to be eaten at the time of Passover in the Bible. So the first food, the bitter herb, is called maror in Hebrew. And we are told to use a tablespoon of horseradish per person at Passover time. And we are to eat it on matzah. And we are to remember what it's like to be a slave. The way this works is that as you eat the horseradish, it has a battle with your sinuses, and the horseradish always wins and you land up crying. But the serious side to those tears is that those tears remind us what it's like to be a slave. It's a life full of tears. So we eat the Passover with bitter herbs to remind us of the bitterness of slavery and reminds us of the Israelite slaves in Egypt. The other special food that I want to mention is, of course, the matzah. The matzah is the bread that we eat, and I've already mentioned the unleavened bread. And we remember the matzah, and we eat some matzah and call it the bread of affliction that our forefathers ate in the land of Egypt. The third most important element of Passover is, in fact, the Passover lamb itself. Now, in Ashkenazi Jewish homes, and that is Jews from Eastern Europe like myself and my family and, of course, our forebears, they, of course, all came from Israel originally, but we were exiled into different parts of the world. And primarily today, they are the Ashkenazi Jews and Sephardic Jews. We are Ashkenazi Jews from Eastern Europe. And at the Passover table, we have what's called a Zoroah, that is the shank bone of the lamb. The shank bone of the lamb reminds us of the Passover lambs that used to be sacrificed. Now, I say used to be sacrificed because the 
Passover sacrifice had to be made at the temple in Jerusalem. But that temple was destroyed 2,000 years ago by Titus and the Roman armies. So today there is no temple in Jerusalem. If I took you on a tour of Israel, which I'd love to do sometime, I cannot show you any temple. It's been destroyed. And now there is no place, on which, no temple and no altar on which to do sacrifices. So the bone at Passover reminds us of the Passover sacrifices that used to take place. So that poses a very important question for us. If there is no temple, if there is no altar, how can we all be forgiven for our sins? For the law of Moses in the Bible was very clear about this. Moses said, I've given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. It is the blood by reason of its life that makes atonement for you. That is Leviticus 17 verse 11. That is, without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. That is why God gave the sacrificial system in the Old Testament, and it in fact went all the way through to the time of Jesus. There had to be the animal sacrifices to bring about atonement, forgiveness for the sins of the people. But now that there is no temple, how can we all be forgiven? This is a good question for Jews as well as for Gentiles, because this is a central law of the Bible. The New Testament says the same thing. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for our sins. Well, nearly 2,000 years ago, there lived a Jewish man called Yochanan Hamatbil. You might know him better as John the Baptist. He was baptizing people in the Jordan River when he looked up at a man coming down the hill and John said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the whole world. John was pointing, of course, to Jesus, Yeshua, his cousin, in fact, and declared that Jesus is the Lamb of God who has been slain for the forgiveness of our sins. And so that is how we are forgiven for our sins today. We don't, don't need a temple. We don't need the sacrifices. We, in fact, don't need a Passover lamb. Jesus is our Passover lamb, and he has been sacrificed for us and has brought us a redemption from sin that is for eternity. And this, of course, is a very important part of the gospel message that we long to proclaim to our Jewish people and also what we are celebrating this very weekend, the death, burial, and resurrection of the Messiah. He shed blood on our behalf so that we would have forgiveness of sin and the promise of life eternal. It's now time for another cup. second cup is called the Cup of Plagues, and with the Cup of Plagues, we remember the ten plagues that were poured out upon the Egyptians. After the Cup of Plagues, we normally come to eat the meal. But, of course, I don't have a meal to share with you today, but it is a joy to be able to invite you one day to come and celebrate Passover with us, perhaps in the Holy Land, that is, in Caulfield, of course, the Holy Land of Australia, where we have the largest Jewish community in Australia. One day, perhaps, you'd like to come down and celebrate with us, and we'd love to invite you, so make sure you keep in touch with us. But let us continue with what happens after supper. After the Passover meal, we come to the taking of the third cup. Again, remember that you are sitting at the table with Jesus and his disciples at that Passover meal. You have been eating food with him. You have been dipping your hand into the bowl. That is, you have been eating food and dipping your matzah into the special symbolic foods. You have been eating all the other foods at Passover time. 
and you've been telling the story of Passover. Now, after dinner, the first thing is the taking of the cup that comes after supper. But before we drink the third cup, we first have to look for something that has been lost or it has been hidden. Remember what that special piece of matzo was called? It was the afikumen, that special Greek word. Well, the afikumen is found by one of the children, and he or she is given a gift for retrieving it. It is, in a sense, redeemed from that child. The father takes this afikumen and then breaks it up into little pieces, and then everybody at the table gets to eat an olive-sized piece of the afikumen, and then after that comes the cup, the cup of redemption. Does that sound familiar? I hope so, because this, I believe, is the origin of the communion service, or the Lord's Supper, or the Eucharist, as some Christians call it, the broken piece of matzah, the afikumen, and the third cup, the cup of redemption. Now, where else can we find such a clear picture of our Messiah than in this tradition of the afikumen, which is broken, buried, and later brought back? I'll explain more of that later, but let's remember the matzah itself. Remember that matzah is unleavened bread, and leaven is the symbol of sin. And so the unleavened bread is a symbol for us of a sinless nature. And that speaks to us about our Messiah Jesus, who was sinless. As the prophet Isaiah foretold, there was no deceit found in his mouth, nor had he done any violence. That's a prophecy from Isaiah chapter 53, which is in fact the chapter that brought me to faith in the Messiah and has brought many of our Jewish people to the Lord because it's such a wonderful prophecy of the suffering servant of God, the Messiah. The Messiah had to be perfect. The Messiah had to be spotless, to be a sacrifice for others. 2,000 years ago, at this time that we are remembering, there were many, many people being executed by the Romans on crosses. Thousands of people were executed. Why would the death of this one man in Jerusalem make a difference because he was no ordinary man. He was the sinless Messiah of God. And because he was sinless, his death, burial, and resurrection brings forgiveness for our sins. Hallelujah. And that is what we are celebrating today. Now the rabbis have laid down very specific instructions about the appearance of matzah if it is to be used at Passover. First of all, they said that matzah must have these stripes on it. Now, this happens naturally when you bake the matzah in the oven. It forms these stripes on the matzah. They also tell us the matzah must be pierced. There are a lot of holes in matzah, if you ever get a chance to look at a piece of matzah. And again, from our Messianic Jewish perspective, we look at this matzah and we can see the Messiah. The Messiah who is sinless was pierced for our transgressions, again, as the Messiah, as the prophet Isaiah foretold. Also, the prophet Zechariah Zach says, They shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child. Speaking of the Jewish people, recognizing the pierced one, the Messiah. And so for me, as I look at that piece of matzah, I am reminded of Jesus, our Messiah, the sinless one who took upon himself my sins and our sins. He was crushed and pierced for our transgressions, not his own. And by his stripes, we are healed. And so Jesus fulfills the, even the imagery of Passover. And I'm sure that perhaps the Apostle Paul was reflecting on this when he wrote to the Corinthians. And he said to them, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
Jesus took our sin upon himself so that through faith in him, we might be considered right before God. None of us deserve that. That's the grace of God in action. But not only that, we see the Messiah uh, not only in the Afikuman, but in the matzah cover itself. Do you remember the pouch that I mentioned? Three layers of matzah, each separated by a piece of cloth. Well, there's lots of debate amongst the rabbis as to the meaning of this pouch. Some say that the three layers represent Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Others say the three layers represent the three divisions of worship in the ancient kingdom of Israel, the priests, the Levites, and the Israelites. But why do we take out that middle matzah, break it, bury it, and later it comes back? Well, the rabbis lift up their hands and say, it's tradition. But we believe there is a better answer given to us by the design of that cover. Three layers, each separate, but form a unity within the pouch, a tri-unity. We believe that the matzah cover bears witness to the unity of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Why do we take out that middle layer of matzah, break it, bury it, and later it comes back? Because Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, was revealed, taken out, if you like. He was made manifest to us. And of course, he was taken off the cross, having died on the cross. He was wrapped up in white linen, according to Jewish burial customs, it says in the Gospel of John. He was then buried in the tomb, but death couldn't hold him down. He was the righteous one, the holy one of God. And early on the third day, he rose from the dead and came back, just like this tradition of the Afikuman, which is retrieved. And so we can see the teaching of the Messiah's death, burial and resurrection in our traditions of the Afikuman. But most of my Jewish people still remain blind to Messiah in the Passover. But I do pray that God will open up their eyes, that the veil of that veil would be removed and they would see the Messiah in the Passover. And remember, Jesus took that piece of matzah and he gave it much more significance. He said, this is my body which is broken for you. And whenever you eat this, do this in remembrance of me. And so we do that regularly, of course, in remembrance of all that Messiah has done for us. It's now time for that third cup, the cup of redemption. And it's concerning this cup, of redemption that is taken after dinner, that the Messiah said, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. The very new covenant that was promised to us by God through the prophet Jeremiah when he declared that he would write his law in our hearts and in our minds. That was a covenant promised in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31 to 34. It was a promise made first to the Jewish people because as the apostle Paul says, the gospel is to the Jew first. But now, through faith in the Messiah, anyone from any tribe or tongue or family or nation can be part of this new covenant people of God. This is part of the good news that he has made us all one in him through his shed blood. And we are now one new man in the Messiah. And so Jesus also, of course, took that cup and gave it extra significance when he said, this is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. We now come to the fourth cup and that is the cup of Hallel, the cup of praise. And everyone knows a Hebrew word, but I'm not sure that everyone realizes that it is Hebrew. That is Hallelujah. The first part of that word is Hallel, which means praise. Hallelujah, of course, is praise the Lord. And so when we speak the word Hallelujah, Amen, or some of the other words like that, we are using Hebrew in our worship, of course. 
And this is the cup of Hallel, the cup of praise. During this time, Psalms 112 to 118 are sung in a traditional Passover. And these Psalms are prophetic about the Messiah. For instance, can you imagine? Jesus leaving the upper room, as the Gospel says, and he is walking to the Garden of Gethsemane. And the Bible says that as they are walking, they are singing hymns. What hymns are they singing? Psalms 112 to 118. One of the words come from Psalm 118 is, This is the stone that the builders have rejected. This is the capstone. This is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. And so Jesus sang those words, going to the Garden of Gethsemane, anticipating his rejection and his being handed over to the Romans to be executed. And yet he was the very Messiah that was promised for us. And so it's a very moving thought, uh, singing those psalms in recognition of all that the Messiah has done for us. That is the cup of praise. There is then another cup that I haven't mentioned just yet, the cup from which nobody would drink, the cup of Elijah the prophet. Why is there a cup of Elijah the prophet in every Jewish home at the time of Passover? Well, we leave a special seat left untouched for Elijah, a cup of wine and a place set in. And in fact, we sing a special song inviting Eliyahu Hanavi, Elijah the prophet, to come into our homes and to bring with him the Messiah. There's a longing in the hearts of Jewish people every year for the coming of Elijah because they believe he will be the forerunner for the Messiah and he would announce the coming of Messiah that year. But I'm afraid that my people have been doing this ritual every year in vain, in fact, because when Yeshua said of the prophet John the Baptist, he said, if you care to accept it, he is the Elijah, the one who was to come. The forerunner of the Messiah came 2,000 years ago in the ministry of John the Baptist. And also the Messiah himself has come to Israel 2,000 years ago. This is our heart's desire at Celebrate Messiah to let our people know Messiah has come. Messiah has come. The Bible tells us that he came unto his own, but his own received him not. But to all those who have received him, he has given them the right to become the children of God. And what a day this is. On this Resurrection Sunday, for you, if you have not yet received the Lord, for you today to receive him into your heart, to receive him as your Lord and Savior, to receive him as your Passover lamb who has been sacrificed for you. And as we celebrate the fact that the Messiah rose from the dead, we too can be totally assured, confident in the fact that our sins are indeed forgiven when we do turn to the Lord in repentance, confident of the fact that our names will be written in the Lamb's book of life and that we will be with the Lord for eternity. What good news that is, and what good news we long to share with all those who need to hear. And I pray that today, on this Resurrection Sunday, the Lord will reveal himself to you in a greater way, that all of us would appreciate the redemption that we have through Jesus the Messiah. Let's just pray. Avinu Malkenu, our Father and our King, we come to you today in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, in the name of Jesus our Messiah. Lord, thank you for all that you have done for us. We thank you for this drama of redemption that you fulfilled through the coming of Jesus our Messiah. Thank you that Jesus came to fulfill all that Moses and the prophets wrote about. And thank you, Lord, for dying for us even while we were still sinners. And just as the Israelites were slaves in Egypt, 
and needed a redeemer. So you saw us in our slavery and sent us Jesus, our Messiah, as our redeemer. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us. I pray that this day will be even more meaningful for us and as we continue to proclaim your good news to all peoples and even to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Blessed be your name. In Yeshua's name I pray. Amen.